good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and I'm going to say good morning to all you at home as well, because I know a lot of you are there, and what a blessing it is that we can do this, right, that we can sit home. Uh, COVID made us kind of up our production, and so um, for those at home, we pray that the, the Holy Spirit's presence here will extend into your house, because as Paul said, God wants to do something with us, so let's open in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you th that you love us, you gave your life for us. Um, and that you do want to do something in and through us. Holy Spirit, please be with us this morning. Uh, we ask you to do what only you can do. God, we don't want to just do church. Uh, we want to really worship you. And if there's any change that you want to make in us, we are open to that. We ask that you would do that. In your name, amen. So let's talk about me a little bit. One of the things that's weird about being a pastor is how to measure success. Right? How does, a, how does a pastor know that they're successful? Right? Most jobs, you kind of have some kind of measure. If you're a business owner, right? Are your customers happy? Are you making a profit? Um, do you get to retire early? You know, that, that could be it. Um, a custodian, the job is done well, nobody complains, there's success. Teacher, at the end of the year, all your kids pass the test. Right? right? There's, there's measures we have, but, but what's the measure for a pastor? You know, there's actually a career path. Um, kind of a worldly career path some pastors follow, and it's moving to a bigger and bigger church and getting a bigger and bigger salary. And I personally, you know, when I became a pastor and I saw that, I kind of rejected that measure. I, I think the calling for a pastor is different. So then, so then if it's not that, is it church size, right? The, the bigger the church, the more successful you are. Well, I would say you can look at the biggest churches in the country and they've abandoned the gospel. So I'd say that's not a good measure either. Is it that we can all pass a good Bible test, right? What is the measure? And let's, uh, let's make it a little broader. How is the measure of a church's success, right? Some of those things might be the same. Is it, is it church size? Is it money? Some do use that as a measure, right? Do, do we have enough giving, right, money? You can build a good building, whatever it is. Well, Paul is going to share his idea of success here. And he's going to look at himself as a missionary church planter. He's saying, if these things happen, we're good. If other things happen, all my work is in vain. And so as I read this, I'm like, thank you, Paul. We get to talk about this as pastors and lay the guilt on everybody else for our success. So the question, though, that we're going to ask today is, what does success look like in ministry? And if you're part of the church, any church, this includes you, right? Because we're part of the body. This isn't just right, church leadership, we're very important, or, or very, we lean on here at Common Ground that worship is, is all of us. We're all part of it. So this involves you. What does success look like? Turn to page 1084 in the Bible in front of you, or if you brought your Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Um, and if you're new or you've missed some, we are going through the book of Philippians, but don't worry if you miss some, it, we're going to pick it up and, and you'll be right on track. But if you didn't bring a Bible, again, page 1084. 84. Now, the context for what we're going to look at really starts in Philippians 2, verse 12. And Preston really nailed this last week. Um, I think they're probably at home snowed in, so hi, Preston and Linda. Um, hope you're doing well. Let me begin, though, with the verses we covered last week. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Now, if you remember, and, and maybe this is your first time hearing anything in Philippians, that's all right. Philippi was a Roman city. Uh, this church was probably one of Paul's favorite churches, made mostly of Gentiles, not Jewish believers, but Gentile believers. Again, they were one of Paul's favorite. They were great. They had one issue, and that was unity. They struggled with that some, but he loved this church. So he's writing to believers. This is not really a, an evangelistic book. This book is for believers, encouraging them. And again, it's very personal. And so he's writing to them, and he says, here's the key words in, in those verses, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. And, and again, Preston did really well last week. We can make a mistake when we think that means work for our salvation. That's not what it means at all. Anything added to faith for salvation is, is unbiblical. You cannot work for your salvation. But he says work out, meaning the, the response of salvation is that you then get to work, right? In Ephesians 2.10, it says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared before him that we would walk in them. So that's what he's talking about. I think uh, Preston said it really well last week when he said, now you're saved, don't stop there. That's kind of, sum that up. Now you're saved, don't stop there. We've got some things to do. And one of the cool things in those verses we looked at is we can get legalistic, even as, as good saved Christians, right? All right? Now what are all the things to do? Oh, I'm not doing enough. And we can wrestle with that, and we should a little bit. But in these verses, we see that it's God that not only gives us the work to do, but he gives us the desire to do it. It is God who gives us the will and the work. So he gives us the desire to do good deeds. He gives us the ability, and then he gives us the opportunity. So there's a lot of peace in this, that it's, it's based on our abiding relationship with him that he carries these things out. So success for the believer looks like consistent faithfulness and obedience. Success is not mere con conversion. A lot of times a church can measure it. How many baptisms do we have? And that's a big measure for us. We do care. We want people to be saved, get baptized, move forward. But it doesn't stop there. It's time to change. Right over here, we have our three key relationships. You know, we put stuff around for a reason, but it's all about transformation. That We want God to change us to be more like him. So success looks like consistent faithfulness and obedience. And again, that's a result of abiding so work out your salvation but now he's going to move to our section today there needs to be a right heart condition and attitude as we work it out look at verse 14 to 18 paul writes do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So let's start with the, uh, the guilt trip. Or, or the, in, the encouragement, we could see. Verse 16, right? He's telling this, this so that, he says, so I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That's him saying, hey, I did all this work for you. I don't want it to be in vain. I, I want it to pay off. And how does it pay off? So he's putting it kind of on them. My success is actually dependent on your consistent obedience and faithfulness. So fruitful labor for the minister it's to see those under their care walking in consistent faithfulness 
and obedience. And this is, this is somewhat tough, I'll be honest, because we are responsible only for ourselves. Parents, you know that too. We want to train our kids up and away and send them, but they get to a point, they can actually have decisions that they make on their own, and some of them are bad. Um, and we're not always responsible for all their decisions. And so there is somewhat of a rub, but, but we want to see fruit, right? We want to raise our kids to grow, and it's the same in the church. We want to see fruit in people's lives. So success for the minister right here, he's saying, if you guys don't continue in your faithfulness and obedience, I'm doing all this work in vain. So let's go back then. What is Paul going to say to make his work worth it, to make it successful? Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. It starts there. Do all things, what things? The works he already referred to. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what he's talking about. These works, as we are working, it's not just in the church, although it is, right? It's, it's shoveling the snow if needed. It's making the coffee. It's doing the greening. It's teaching the kids. It's all the things that we do, those works. It's also at home because when you're saved, now you've got other works. God wants to change you, meaning your marriage is going to look different, and marriage can be work, right? Just ask my wife. Marriage can be work, and so you're working on being a better husband, a better wife, you're a better parent. Kids, you're working at doing better at obeying, right? I mean, that's the main thing for a kid, obey. So even there, we're, we're working it out. And in these works, he says, there's a right attitude in it. Do not grumble or dispute. Stop it. Stop grumbling. Stop fighting. That word uh, grumble, it's, it's an onomatopoeia in Greek. It is um, gonguzman. The, the whole thing is, it's just the sound of grumbling right? So do all things without, right? You can have obedience that's not faithful obedience. You ask your kid to go clean their bedroom, they're like, fine, I'll go clean I mean, my kids don't do this. Maybe yours do, right? But this kind of grumbling obedience, they're obeying, but the, you know, that's what he's talking about. There's, there's a heart condition of our works, our obedience isn't grumbling, it's, it's joyful, but then he adds this other word there, or disputing, that is arguing it, it's fighting, but it's reasoning that supports a personal bias, right? This, this debating, I, I want my way. This is really kind of a selfish, I want my way, and if I don't get it, I might still do it, but I'm going to grumble. Can this happen in the church? It can, because we're still people, right? right? We're, we're still in these bodies. We still struggle with sin. So we have to, that's why he's given us this instruction. Do it without grumbling or disputing. Turn back just a little bit to get some context. Chapter 1, verse 27. If you're in the, the Bible under the seat, it's just like straight at the top over. It's kind of nice. But he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy. That's another just quick little phrase in there that sets a lot of the context for the book. How do we walk worthy? We walk in faithful obedience without grumbling or disputing. Not trying to force our way. You know, when we, uh, when we planted Common Ground, the organization that we planted with, they said, you know, there's, there's two churches in town um, that they're really just kind of mean, and uh, they have a reputation of not being pleasant, and they need to just go away. I thought, that's interesting, <laughs> that they had that reputation. Um, by the way, you probably don't know which ones I'm talking They're not that way anymore. God has really worked, and so that's kind of awesome. But churches can have reputations that can spread, right? So we walk worthy. We get along. Again, we can walk in obedience without the right heart. 
uh, when I was in college, I, I co-led a mission trip to Mexico. And one of the things we were doing was an orphanage we were working on, and we had to lay concrete for a, a sidewalk. And we got in a debate, um, me and one other guy, about a string line to make it straight, right? And which side of the board do you put the string on? Who cares? <laughs> I mean, like, in the scheme of things, and we're disputing and we're debating, and then I won the argument, so he grumbled the rest of the day, you know? And it's like, here we are trying to be a light and serve, and our attitudes were, were horrible, right? It's kind of like it just doesn't line up with our claim to follow Christ. And even our good works, I feel, were kind of ruined right there. Now, the next year, we went to Mexico again, and this time we built a, a house. Um, and it was kind of cool. The first day, our job was to pour the slab. And so we didn't have a mixer, and so the whole group was like, all right, well, how are we going to mix the concrete without a mixer? And there was a good debate, discussion, but the attitudes were good. We tried different things and ended up pouring. It was great. Later that night, started raining. Well, if you know anything about concrete, it, it shouldn't be rained on, right? And the next day, we were going to need to build on it, and so the rain might mess it all up. So four of us hopped in my 1968 AMC Hornet, super cool car, um, and we drive off. Again, it's probably 11 at night. We drive off to cover it. We get there, you know, it's raining, it's kind of dreary and miserable, and, and we cover it. On our way back, um, and if you, this was Tijuana area, Ensenada, some down, and there was like a campground that we were staying in, and where we were was, I don't know, a few miles away. Well, on our way back, the road was now a giant puddle. There's no other way back. Like, that was it. So we debated again, discussed, how, what do we do? And we came to the conclusion, just go fast. So, right, <laughs> that... Put the pedal to the metal, whoop, made it right to the middle. That's it, right? Oh, we're stuck. All right, what do we do? Three of us jumped out, right, got in the back, started pushing. Again, the mud is, you know, up to our knees, and it wasn't just mud. There was a lot of cattle, um, and so it was mud and cattle, you know, all mixed in, so it didn't smell great, and we discovered if you're pushing and somebody puts their foot on the gas, if you're behind the tire, it flings, so, so the person in the middle is like, ha, 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 the two on the side were just covered. Um, finally, we get out, right, and we get back to the camp, and we have to shower in these cold outdoor showers. It was miserable, but the attitudes were great, so there was joy in all of that. I just give those two illustrations as a difference. You can work with the right attitude, or you can do good deeds that are kind of ruined by the attitude. So the attitude in which we minister should be one of joyful cooperation. That's what he's talking about here. Joyful cooperation. It doesn't mean we don't have opinions, right? It doesn't mean we don't even discuss or debate at times, but it's not about getting my way. Now, there are some that I think takes a, a little bit of a deeper discussion when we get to the fundamentals of the faith. We, we don't want to be passive about those. I, you know, if somebody is, is trying to teach something contrary to Scripture, we're going to be a little bit more forceful with that um, of, no, we need to stick with God's word. But in general, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about just carrying it out, carrying out our faithfulness. Now, there's a, a link here. This word grumble is almost never used in the New Testament. But the Old Testament was translated into Greek um, about 200 B.C., and it's called the Septuagint. The Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, which is the Old Testament, uses this word quite a bit. And it's almost always in reference to the Jewish people, the Israelites, when they were taken out of Egypt. You, you remember that story. Uh, Moses, God through Moses, set the people free, and we're, we're going to take them to the promised land. Well, they grumbled the whole way. 
<laughs> if you remember the story, right, they're led out. And right away, I mean, all these miracles happen, uh, right, the plagues, all this stuff. They're set free. A sea, the Red Sea, is parted, and they walk across on dry land. I mean, all this. And then they get to the other side. They're like, I'm hungry, <laughs> right? How come we don't have better water? I, we want meat now. I mean, they just grumbled the whole way to the point that anybody over the age of 20 didn't make it to the promised land. God's like, I, this generation, they've seen all this and they grumble. Only those under 20 are going to make it to the promised land. And so he's referring to that. Deuteronomy 32, 4 and 5 talks about this. It says, God, his works are truth and all his ways are right. He is a faithful God and he is not unjust. Just and pure is the Lord. They sinned, they who were not his children, full of fault, a crooked and depraved generation. You see the link to the verses we just read, right? That they may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. He's making a link on purpose there, right? Here, here were God's people, God's chosen people, the Israelites. They were unfaithful, even in their obedience, through their grumbling. And that's what he's talking about. But then there's more. Isaiah 49, 6 gives us another link to what he's saying here. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And here he says the same thing. Uh, uh, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here's the point. Here, here's the link there. God's plan has always been for his people to shine as lights in the world. His plan has never been for God's people. It was the Israelites under the old covenant, um, and now it's the new covenant, the believers under Jesus Christ. It has always been that God wants them to shine the light of God's glory, the truth of who God is, so others will be saved. Never to become our own group, right? And, and we just hide away. We are God's presence on earth. And so we are to be lights. The mission of God's people has always been to shine the light of God's glory and share the truth of God with the rest of the world. Why? As we see in those verses, for the sake of salvation for others, right? And so if we are grumbling and dispute, even like doing good things, but our attitude, we can't be a good light. That's how this all comes together, right? If we are unpleasant to be around, people aren't going to want to be around us. And the truth is most people connect to believers before they connect to God. And so believers need to be showing the light of Christ in what they do and how they behave, how they talk. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And as we're talking about this idea of success in 2 Timothy, the same author, Paul will say the goal of our instruction is love, love from a pure heart, from sincere motives, meaning we do have a lot of work to do. That's our mission, right? Connecting people to the abundant life only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. We have a lot of work to do, but we do it with love. That's the goal. We do it together. But there's one more thing. It's not just that. Because, again, we can do these things and then miss another measure of success that Paul says. Look at verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. 
holding fast to the word of life. Some of you might have a Bible that has the translation, holding forth the word of life. They're both accurate. It's true. What he's saying is that we believe God's word and we hold it out. Not only do we obey it, but we share it. A believer remains faithful by believing God's word, following God's word, and sharing God's word. Paul says you can do all these things. We can form a church and even look successful. But if you don't hold fast to God's word, it's all in vain. That's a little bit scary. And I'll I'll tell you the truth. There are plenty of churches in name out there that have abandoned God's word. They've thrown the gospel out or they've gone, eh, we're just going to change it, right? Because it needs to fit society. It needs to fit culture. They have thrown out the only thing that will make them be a light to the nations. And so then all of a sudden you're this, you're a club, right? A a good place to be, sometimes good people, but, but you're not a light anymore because it's not the gospel. Paul will write elsewhere that if you change the gospel, any other gospel is not a real gospel. You change it and it's done. And how do we stick on the truth with the word of God? That is how. An individual or a church, the word of God. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word has a power nobody else has. Nothing else has. Maybe you've experienced this. You read God's word on your own, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, <laughs> oh something just cut, cut into me deep. Maybe it's uh, an encouragement. I mean, that can be a good thing, right? Oh, that's exactly what I needed. Sometimes it's a conviction. Oh, wait a minute. My behavior was wrong, oh, right? This reveals those things to us because, again, transformation is our goal, to become more like Christ. God's word is how we do it. We get rid of God's word, then all that we do is in vain. And there's a timeline on this. For for how long? How long do we need to stick to God's word? How long do we need to remain faithfully obedient? Look back at verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. When? In the day of Christ. What's that day? That's the day Jesus returns. Part of the gospel, part of the the truth that we cannot set aside is that Jesus, the Messiah, is coming back. That's the day of Christ. And in that day is the day of judgment. We will stand before God to receive rewards, right, if we're believers, or condemnation if we're not. And in that day we will receive our new bodies. That's the day of the Lord. He's saying, endure until then, right? Success means that we endure faithfully, standing on the word of God until Jesus returns or we go to be with him. One proof of salvation is the perseverance of the person. The perseverance of the saints is how this is referred to a lot of times. A true believer will persevere. They will make it to the end, standing on God's truth. Maybe you remember the parable of the soils where Jesus shares with with, uh, his followers that there are four different types of soil. So the word of life, right? God's word, the gospel is shared. And some people will receive it different ways, right? One is the rocky soil. That's the path. It'll just bounce off. Those hear it and go, yeah, I don't even, I don't care. Like, whatever. Some hear it, uh, weedy soil. They hear it and they're like, oh, that sounds good. But then life gets too busy, right? The pleasures of life uh, choke it out. Meaning, oh, God's word says be sexually pure. I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, it's that, and, and it chokes it out. Or even just the busyness, 
right? The busyness, oh, I'm too busy to read my Bible. I'm too busy to go to church. I'm too busy to, to pray. Ooh, those, those choke it out. And it says that soil is not good soil. Those, those believers aren't even true believers. Then there's the shallow soil, right? The, the soil that had been, the wind blew it between the rocks. Maybe you've seen this, um, and a weed or something starts growing there. Good soil is not, or it's good soil that is blown, and it grows up, but it has no root. So when persecution or trials come, they fall away. This is the person, they look good, but then they're like, wait a minute, the world is going to be against me? Oh, people are going to make fun of me? People disagree with me. They think I'm stupid. I'm going to abandon this, right? It's only the good soil that makes it, the good soil that hears the word, believes the word, and endures. It's the only one that endures, and so we must endure all the way to the end. So Paul says, here's how I'm going to measure my success, and I won't even know until the end. I won't even know how well I did until Christ comes back. You know, we've had people visit Common Ground before, um, friends, and they shared, you know, they, they came a couple weeks and they, they wouldn't come back. They said they don't need somebody telling them how to change. I thought, well, then this definitely isn't the place because God wants to, to change us. I, I mean, the fact is, none of us have arrived yet. You know, anybody that thinks they've arrived, they definitely have not arrived. And so we're all kind of on the grow. That's why this is rough. We get together and, and we, you know, we call each other out, grumbling, disputing. We're going together because we have something that the world needs. We have something everyone needs, and that is the truth of Jesus Christ. So success is not a church size, right? It's not the number of butts in seats, as, as it's said, right? It's not money. These are a couple of our values. Um, if you ever go in the conference room, up on the wall we have our values, and we really do care about these. We really do measure our success or, or make decisions based on those values. And this is, this is one of those. Sending capacity. Aren't these cool? <laughs> it's kind of heavy. Sending capacity, not seating capacity. Meaning we don't measure our success on how many people we can get in here. It's on how many people we can send out to live out their faith in the world. That's how we measure it. Meaning, are we living it out at home? Are we taking it where we work, where we play? Some of us are going to be sent even further, as missionaries, as pastors, uh, Caitlin Browning, is Caitlin here? Hi, Caitlin. So uh, the church has just started supporting Caitlin as a local mi missionary with FCA. So she is one who, I would say this, she is being sent because she has a heart for kids that don't know Christ. Kids that won't come into the church. She's like, well, FCA is a way to get into the school and meet with those kids. That's, that's a measure of success, so thank you, <laughs> right? That, yeah, that's, that's big, but all of us are sent wherever we are. Um, so here's the other one, though, and this, I think, fits very well with the point of Paul's. It's not about me. <laughs> I mean, this is one of our values we wrote down and hung on the wall. As we do all these things, it's, it's not about me. It's not about my opinion. It's not about your opinion. It's not about, right, our success, Right? It's about the gospel, and it's about others. And so we use these as a measure because this is exactly what Paul is talking about. Work, you know, go. we got a lot to do, but do it with the right heart. Don't grumble. Don't dispute. Right? Don't be that pessimistic one. Be positive. Be, be encouraging. That's who we're supposed to be. And in it all, we rejoice. Look at verse 17. It says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Here's what he means by that. Even if I die, 
right? He's in prison when he's writing this. He could die. And, and he didn't die, we don't think, in this imprisonment. He would go on, and then he would be arrested again, and he was killed for the faith. So he did pour out his life for the gospel. Uh, we're going to see Paul a little bit later um, in Philippians talk about his pedigree, basically what his life could have been, what it was until he followed Jesus. And it, and it was, you know, one of, of class, and then all of a sudden it was one of persecution and, and pain and eventually death. And he said, that is worth it. He says, in that, I rejoice. Meaning our joy is not based on circumstances. It's not based on things going well. Our joy is based on faithfulness to God, right? You will feel that joy. When you are walking in faithful obedience, you will feel the joy. Not always happiness, <laughs> right? You know, I was oh, this is all great. But you will feel an inner contentment because you are where God wants you to be. There's no better place to be than right where God wants you to be. That's what he's talking about. I rejoice. And then he says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. We should be joyful people. That's who we are. We are lights. The faithful Jesus follower has a glad heart and is quick to rejoice. Why do we struggle with this? And may I say this? Why, at least in my experience, do Christians even struggle with this more than non-believers? Why do I encounter more grumpy believers, it seems like, than non And that's probably not true, Just, but in my life, I, I've been around believers a lot. What's our problem? It's kind of like going to Disneyland. If you've ever gone to Disneyland, and I remember going when the girls were young, and we saved up all our money, and we drove all the way down there, and we stood in those lines in the heat. It was horrible. If you've ever done it, I don't recommend it. They love it. Um, they actually caught on. So last time they went, I didn't have to go. Um, but you go, right, and you're like, hey, this is great. It's the happiest place on earth. And then one of the kids is like, I want a churro. Like, well, we can't afford the $10 churro. Um, we packed cheese and crackers for lunch. I mean, that's, you know, that's what we did. We packed our own food in. We're not but I want a churro. What? A, what? what? <laughs> and, and there's this grumbling and this, no, we're, we're at Disney. We're going on Space Mountain. Let's go. I want a churro. I mean, it, it, I don't get it. Like, look around. Look at all the things we've done for you and you're grumbling and disputing. I think it's very similar. Us as believers, anytime in life when we're grumbling, God's like, I, I sent my son to die for you, <laughs> right? Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then his righteousness and perfection is given to you as a gift, not based on anything you do, just because God loves you. And you're like, but I want more. <laughs> but can't things go my way? Can, I, can the snow stop? I mean, right? Because that's what we are. Why? Because we get focused on ourselves. And I know this well because I do this, right? It's not about me. The reason this is one of our values is early on in my Christian life, I had to say this to myself a lot. I still do. In my own mind. Why am I getting grumpy? It's not about me. Get over yourself. And so here's the answer. Look back at where we started from last week. Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He gives us the answer right there. As we work it out with fear and and trembling. And again, if you missed last week, Preston handled this really, really well. This is basically saying have a right view of yourself and a right view of God. This isn't a fear that we're going to get smote, right? That God's going to step on us. That's not that kind of fear. Fear and trembling, it's a reverence when you realize who God is. I mean, the God of the universe, Yahweh. I like that we're saying that. Yahweh, that's his name. When Moses said, who should I say sent me? He says, Yahweh. I am that I am. That means 
I always existed. That's what this word, the Yahweh, it entails so much. I always existed. I was not created. I always will exist. I am self-existent. Everything else finds its existence out of God. God is the only thing that is self-existent, and that's in his name, Yahweh. Get that view, and guess what? There's some fear and trembling, because I, I'm not as important as I think. I'm not as strong as I think. I'm not as smart as I think. Here's God. When we look at him, we get perspective with fear and trembling. So let's be glad and rejoice. And now as we're going to worship it, and you at home, we're going to move to worship. Don't click off, <laughs> right? Stand, even if there's just two of you, stand up and sing, and I know that's weird. But we're going to continue to sing, and we're going to take communion. And in communion, we remember Jesus' death and his resurrection, looking forward to him coming back. Uh, communion, the way we do it here is there's three stations, one here, one there, one there. Gluten-free is back there. The reason we do it this way is we think participation in worship is godly. It's good for us to get up, bump shoulders, move around. But as you feel led, as you're ready, again, this is for believers only, get up, grab the bread, grab the, the, the cup. Uh, you can pray at your seat. You can get together in a corner, however you want to do it. But ask God to examine your heart, right? Are there any changes you need to make and commit to make those? Any next steps? Again, those are listed in, in the bulletin um, or at that the, the clicky, clicky thing. You know what I mean? Uh, as you, yeah, next steps. But here's, here's two that we have on there. One, find a place to serve. Are you working out your salvation, right? Not working for it. Are you serving? If not, that's definitely a next step. God, where do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do? And the second one is slowly read and meditate on Psalm 23. The reason why that is on there is if you struggle with your attitude, you're grumbling, it's because you're focused on you. This week, take Psalm 23, read it slowly. Read it prayerfully. It's all about God and his love for us. If you focus on God in that way, inevitably, he's going to work on your heart and you're going to have a different perspective. So that's why those are there for our next steps. But for all of us, our next step is going to be worshiping, singing, taking the Lord's Supper. We have our prayer walls. If you want to write down a prayer request, I'm going to be back in the back. If you want me to pray with you, or maybe you hear this, you go, I want to be part of the family of God. I don't know if I am, or I know I'm not, and it's my day to believe, to, to confess. I believe Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and I want life in him. Or anything else, if you want to pray about, I will be back there, um, but let's worship. Father in heaven, uh, I thank you so much for this. God, I, I thank you for the encouragement that you, you give us, um, that it is you to will and to work. God, that you don't place the burden on us. Hey, you're saved, but now go work hard for it in your own strength. Rather, you give us the strength. God, it's all about you. And so I pray if there's anybody in the room that has maybe a, an inner attitude of grumbling, um, uh, of that just, just a, a pessimistic, uh, likes to debate, that kind of attitude. God, I pray that you would convict that heart, but encourage them to that they can be like you. They, they can change. They can have joy and peace. But God, I, the last thing I want to ask too is that we would do the worst you, you have before us. God, you do want to do great things in our community. You want to do great things in our families. You want to do great things. And God, you've planned for them. We don't want to miss out. God, we know we can miss out, but we don't want to miss out. So show us those good works and then give us the kick we need to get out there and do them and experience the joy that comes from that. You are so worth it. We love you in your name.